Let's pray. Can you, can you pull me back in there just a hair? Just a hair. Father, we worship you and praise you. We thank you for your love, Lord. We thank you for your presence. <coughs> Father, thank you for what Brooke read out of Kings. The story of the widow and her two sons and how the oil was multiplied. That's a picture of faith, Father. Certainly a picture of your provision, but it's a picture of your love. Father, as Brooke prayed, I will pray as well that you take my words and allow none of my own, but they be just yours. Do with us what you will. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you all hear me okay? Just a hair. Okay. I want to I want to begin sharing something from Thursday. Uh, we were in the courts on Thursday. Um, I'm not going to read the transcript or, or get into it a lot, but I wanted to read something to you that I found to be very interesting and very much an indictment against the church. Um, for those of you who don't know, I, I know people here know, but uh, those of you who don't know, we were in the courts, in the Court of Nations on Thursday evening regarding abortion. And there were many spirits that, that came that were involved with that, that were uh, on trial, held to account. But there was one spokesman for him because you know, Satan's not, he was there, but he's not about to take responsibility and speak up. But there was, uh, there was this one spirit that did speak, and I, I, love, I love how uh, Bryn, who does our uh, transcription, <laughs> I love how she labeled this spirit, because it, it, it was explained what it looked like, this bird and the, how the feathers were and all this. So she just calls it the bird thing. <laughs> so when I, when I refer to it as the bird thing, you know who I'm talking about. Okay. But there, there's something that I want to read. Um, let me see if I can find it here in my journal. We were going back and forth, and this was at the beginning I had, we had done our opening, and then it was the opportunity for the defense, the bird thing, to respond. <laughs> and so the father says, does the defense, defense wish to respond because I was laying out what abortion was? that in reality it was a sacrifice. And I, I, won't, I won't go into what I said there, but, but I want you to pay attention to what the defense says here. Because 
If you listen to all the arguments on abortion and why it should be legalized and why it is for today, you're going to hear all those arguments right here. The defense said, we will respond. Giving the choice of abortion has saved lives. And remember, this is him speaking. Mother's lives that are at risk. A fetus's life that wouldn't have lasted. Women who were assaulted given the choice not to be reminded over and over again of what was done to them. Holy men have stood in your pulpits assaulting girls, hiding what they have done to get rid of the evidence. They claim in the name of you, talking about the Father, to not shame your name. So in other words, what he's saying here is, is they literally have the abortion done, not shame the name of the Father, is what he's saying. How many more lives would have died if these procedures were not done in a safe environment? Sterile. But in a back alley as it was before it was legal. I would say that they were presented with a choice. A choice to not raise this fetus on their own when men can't stand up and take responsibility. When fathers rape their daughters and other family members. When women who proclaim your name have affairs against their husbands and they find themselves with a fetus. And they don't know whose it is. What then? What of that? Your church would become a mockery more than it even is today. The defense rests. The reason I wanted to read that is because although that came from the mouth of the enemy, it rings true in the mouths of Christians today. Okay, I get the world, whatever. You know, I get those who don't know Christ. You know, that you expect that. From them. But you don't expect that from somebody who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. The entire indictment here, guys, that this bird thing said, it was not against the world. It was against the bride. It was against those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. <coughs> That's the part that, that really, really, not at the time, but later going back reading the transcript and just praying and, and going before the Lord, it just rocked me. Because I don't know, I know they're out there, but I don't know of anyone who would claim to be a Christian and really is a Christian say, well, yeah, I'm good with abortion. I mean, I see him on TV. But my default is, well, yeah, they probably aren't really a Christian. You know, they're Christian in name only. They, they, they tout Jesus, but then, you know, they're, they're for all these things that Jesus literally was against. 
But the more I think about it, the more I believe that there are true Christians that know the Lord and that are deceived in such a way to think that it is better to just take control and get rid of this child than to allow something to come up and the church name be dragged in the mud. Now that's so sad. That's so incredibly sad. And needless to say, I'm I'm not going to go off on a tangent on this, but needless to say, the defense lost. They lost quite heavily. Um, Another thing I want to point out there, and and this, this really shows you certainly the heart of the enemy in this, but it gives you an insight into the battle that we are about to ensue over this. You notice he never once called it a child. He never once called it a life. He called it a fetus. It was a way for him to be separated from the life force that is in that baby. The very life that even begins at conception. Right, it's at conception that that first chemical reaction occurs. And life is birthed. This life is precious. The circumstances may not be. I'm in agreement with that. Those circumstances are horrible. But the circumstances do not decide the truth. The truth is the truth. It's life. And one of the things we asked in this court case for the granting of, in in the physical realm, one of our goals was that, and, and the father had told me this years ago, that there would be a constitutional amendment in this country that states life begins at conception. There's no need to overturn Roe v. Wade. There's no need to go in the, and, and I mean, go for it any way you can. You know, I would say to, to the lawmakers, you know, fight, fight, fight. But when this amendment is passed, and it will be, it literally takes the the confusion of what abortion is off the table. It's no longer confusing because it's life. It's life. If you can't figure out an aborted baby, not a fetus, an aborted baby that is alive, that still lived, that is out on the table, that is alive, and you decide you cannot go to resuscitate that child because it was chosen, it was marked for abortion. How dare you? How dare you? I'm telling you, God is not going to put up with any of that any longer. And the church had better stand up. The church had better stand up and let the world know, let this country know, let your lawmakers know what you believe and what truth is. I mean, if, 
If they don't stand up for those little babies, who's going to? Right? God wants us to step up. So often the church sits back and says, well, come on, God, do something about that. Rain down your fire. Be careful, because it's going to. But not like you think. You know, he's saying, wait a second, you love me. <laughs> you say you have a relationship with me. You say you serve me. You say you want everything in me. So why don't you stand up for me? Why don't you let the world know who I am and not be afraid of that, not be afraid of losing some ridiculous position, not be afraid of the backlash at work, not be afraid of the backlash at the coffee club, you know, at the people you hang around at school. There's a tough one because that that affects all ages. I won't even say it, but even, even our daughter, 11 years old, 6th grade. You're 6th grade, right? 6th okay. <laughs> grade. You have these ideas that start getting pumped into these kids, and you start to see the divide even amongst those young friendships. We have to stand up. We have to stand up for what's right because it's, honestly, it's the only hope that our friends have. Not just that we have, but our friends have. There was uh, some other stuff that, that came out in this that, that was interesting, but it's skipping my mind now. But... Uh, Oh, the, the last thought I'll, I'll talk about regarding this, which, which I thought was interesting. I don't know. It's not a stupidity. Perhaps a blindness. You know, you would, you would think, because they know who the Father is. These demonic spirits, these spirits and even principalities that that are brought to the court. They know who the Father is. They, they, know, they know not to mess with Him. But yet, they are so sold out for Satan, it's just mind-boggling to me. This, this entity, thing, person, whatever you want to call him, who literally has taken them to their destruction, they are so infatuated and in love with. That's one thing that stood out to me in this court case, because I, I was asking them why. Why? Why? Why in the world would you do this? And, of course, I, I'm thinking in my mind, I, I just want their words to indict them. And what ended up happening is their words just indicted Satan, because they said, we do it to honor him. It just it just blew me away, and 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 we've we've met so many humans that do the same thing. These human witches that that do the same thing and feel the same way. So, anyways, um, I just wanted to give an update on that because that is a war that is coming up. It's 
quite frankly, probably not the biggest war. There, there are some other ones coming up as well. But this one, this one's going to be big. It's going to be fought hard. It has been fought hard. But finally, you are seeing signs of the church standing up. You're seeing signs of the opposition finally not being afraid to pay the cost of, of speaking out, right? And, and I think that that is going to come rather quickly. Now, this, this week, really, I, I've been kind of going back and forth on, on some things and just, just really pressing into the Lord and, and spending a lot of time in, in certain areas of the Word of God. And, and uh, as I got closer to today... You know, I always, you know, Lord, what do you have? What do you have for Sunday morning? And, and I've told you this a million times. And sometimes he'll give me an indicator. Sometimes he won't. Sometimes Sunday morning. Sometimes not till I get here. But this whole time, everything's been very consistent. And, and, and I've resisted it, which is odd. You know, I'm not supposed to do that. But I, I'm curious, how many in here... How many in here would say you're a positive person? Raise your hand. Yeah, your, your basic outlook is positive. You don't like to talk about negative things. You like to think about positive things. Okay, I, my hand's up. That's me. I'm a positive person. I, I, I don't tend to dwell on negative, right? Especially if it's about me. If it's about me, then it's not negative. It's just something in change. It's in flux, right? Okay, but I'm basically a positive person. Well, this whole week has been, the Lord's been showing me things that have been kind of opposite of that. And, and it's, it's been a heaviness. It's been a, a, um, a weight. And I know I'm not the only one that's been feeling this. I know many have been feeling this. I know Michael and I had a conversation last night. He's been feeling this for the last, I think, three or four days, you said. And, 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 I know many others that have been feeling this weight. And I've been asking the Lord, I mean, I know what the weight is. That wasn't the issue. I've been asking the Lord why he is making this weight stay on me. And he said because he wanted me to talk about it this morning. There comes the wrestling. Wait, Lord, but I just do not like to be negative. I do not like to share negative things. Right? I do not like... But he has stayed on me on this. And so I'm going to. I asked him, well, Lord, could we not have it on Facebook this morning? <laughs> he said, sure. He said, that's fine. If, if you don't have it on Facebook, though, then when you get home, I need you to, to do a little Facebook Live video yourself proclaiming this. I thought, okay, well, <laughs> I'll free up my afternoon and just go ahead and have, keep it on Facebook Live. But I want to give a brief, and I think it'll be brief because I, I, want, I want to get to something else that he also gave me. A brief overview, maybe a 30,000 foot view of what is coming up. Because this is important. This is really important to understand. I've shared with you before the idea of prophecy in the eye of a Jewish rabbi, right? Prophecy is cyclical. We've talked about that, right? 
And, and many of the prophecies that we see in the end times are looked at in the same way, as cyclical. Now, I've never understood that. I, I can't even necessarily tell you that I understand that right now. You know, Americans, we, we're kind of in more of a Greek way of thinking that prophecy, fulfillment. You know, it, we, we love these bookends of, of beginning and ending, and it's this nice, nice little neat set. And we can then take it, put it in, you know, our archive of memory, and, and that was awesome. That's not how a Jewish person, especially a Jewish rabbi, looks at, looks at this stuff. They look at patterns. They look at, at circular uh, recurrences of the same thing. And, and so, so that opened up my mind, obviously, a lot in talking to the Lord and, and understanding where the bride fits in in eschatology, in, in future events. Because, you know, I grew up thinking, as most of you probably did, that, that we just kind of hang on. You know, we do the best we can. We live for God. Get as many people saved as possible before it just gets so bad, God feels bad for us, comes and meets us in the clouds and comes and gets us and relieves us of all our problems. Right? I mean, how many believe that? Or used to believe that. I, I'm, I did. Absolutely. I grew up that way. And, and not that, you know, I, I'm, I'm being facetious when, oh, I feel sorry for you now. No, it, it's more that you are here to persist in your turmoil, and that is your penance of faith. Right? That is your payment of faith in believing who God is in your turmoil. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But guess what? There's no hope of what he depicts as a ready bride in that scenario. And we've talked about this before. I believe that the, the first opening of my eyes in that was Revelation 3.9, where, where he said that, that to this church, he said that they will come and bow at your feet, give honor to you, and I will show them in real sense, in real this life sense, these three-dimensional, you know, uh, spaces in time sense that God loves us and that he shows favor on us. Well, that never happened before, and I've shared that. And we've talked about this a little bit. That never happened, has never happened yet, but it's going to. And that, that's the, the phase, if you will, that we're in right now. Now... If you look at the scriptures and prophetic scriptures as cyclical, or, or uh, there, there are cycles, that means more than one. Okay, and I'm not saying everyone is that way. I'm, I'm just telling you how the Jewish rabbi thinks. What I can tell you is that much of what we see in eschatology, there is at least two phases. One is for Israel, and it makes it pretty clear. Right? The thousand-year reign where Jesus comes and physically reigns as king of the earth. That is for Israel. He literally reigns out of Jerusalem. Right? That is for Israel. If we think that what's happening now is to replace that, we're incorrect. We don't understand the cycle of that prophecy. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't, raise your hand. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I want to make sure you understand. Can't see any hands on 
Facebook, but sorry. So in this cycle that we are in is what I would call and what you've heard me call a foreshadowing of what's to come. Does it mean that every little thing is exactly the same? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. I can tell you the parameters are the same. I can tell you many of the details are the same. And because of that, I want to get into what it looks like in this foreshadowing of what's happening to the bride right now. Because we will come to that Revelation 3-9 point. Where literally the world looks at those who are believers and sees the favor of God on them. And they rule, in a way, Jesus Christ rules the earth through his bride. We will come to that point. But understand that there is a war. There is a war that happens between now and then. And that war has already begun. That war is what we would call judgment. When you go and you, you begin to really understand the book of Revelation, uh, in, in, looking, in looking at what that means for Israel, it is the judgment of the world for the sake of Israel. Okay? Now I want you to look at it in the foreshadowing of, of what's going on with the bride. It is judgment of the world for the sake of the ready bride. For the sake of those who are hot. That's why I said I would rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Because you're going to get caught in the crossfires. So to just mention this first step. And the, and the Lord took me to this back in September. And, and I did a, a message. If you want to know uh, a little more detail about this when he gave it to me. Uh, it was in September and... I think it was called the, the time of the Gentiles, three phases. But it was based on the three woes in Scripture in Revelation, starting in Revelation chapter 9. At the time when I preached it, I thought, well, the first woe's over. We've already dealt with the bad one. Well, I was incorrect in that. <laughs> it's beautiful how time can teach you things. We have just begun the first woe. Okay, I want you to understand what this first woe is, and this is what the Lord wanted me to put on Facebook. This is what he wanted me to pronounce. Not so much for people that might hear it now, but perhaps for people that will hear it later, I don't know. This first woe is a shot across the bow for the church. This is a warning for the church. This is not just judgment of this world, this is a warning to the bride to pay attention, to understand the times that we are in, which he has said throughout the New Testament is our responsibility. We're to know the times. We're to understand. How do we understand that? Because I, 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 need, to, I need to know Greek and Hebrew, and I need to know the... No, you need to know Jesus. You need to build a relationship with him. Because it is only the Holy Spirit that can reveal Scripture. That's one of His jobs. And when we press in in relationship and we say, Lord, Lord, I, I'm trying to understand this passage. I'm trying to understand what you want me to understand in this. Send your Holy Spirit to give me wisdom. 
Send your Holy Spirit to peel back the layers and reveal to me what this means. And he says, yeah, I'll do it because I promised I would. I'll send it. And then all of a sudden you start to see things. You start to apply them. You start to understand the times in which we live. And that's an important factor. So, again, briefly just to explain this first woe is a shot across the bow of the bride. Because, see, this doesn't affect the bride directly. This first woe where Abaddon has been released to to lead a horde of demonic spirits all over the globe to torment them for five months. That started last Tuesday, 3-3. I'm beginning to understand what 3-3 means. Kind of. I see it 20 times a day. But I'm beginning to understand what it means. That began last Tuesday and it will go for 150 days. Three, total of five months, 30 day months. It'll go until and through July 31st. He is not allowed to touch anyone sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Those who are saved, those who know the Lord, he can't touch them. Anyone else? Fair game. I suppose, unless the Lord has done something that I'm not aware of. He's also not allowed to kill them. He's not allowed to take life. That's not at his disposal doesn't mean people won't die. People die every day. But they will not die because of this. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is. He didn't say what it was. He just said we are in this time. And I know all of those, especially tuned in, or listening to this later, perhaps even some here, are like, what? You know, you're pinpointing dates now. You're a little off your rocker, and that's okay. You, you guys know me. It's not going to be, you know, not going to affect me too much, what you think, but I'm here to tell you what I know. Five months. We don't see signs of it yet, but we will. We will very shortly. I believe within weeks, I don't have a date when you'll see them. But I did ask the Lord... What it looks like, and let, let, me, let me give you his words, because I wrote them in my journal. If I can find it. I was asking the Lord first was it his will that this for this to happen and his response was really interesting to me because he did not say yes it is his will 
his response was, it is just. It is just. It is his righteous judgment. And this is what he said when I asked him to describe what we will see. He didn't give a lot of detail, but this is what he said. You will see chaos everywhere, and everywhere you look, it will be tumultuous as the sea. Very simple thing. But when you combine that with the globe, not just here in Newark, but all around the earth, Anybody know what a tumultuous sea looks like? Anybody been out in a tumultuous sea? I've I've been out on a boat in class four waves. <laughs> Heaved just to prove it. Right? A tumultuous sea is not something that is pleasant to be in. Chaos is not something pleasant to be around. This is a wake up call for the bride. Because the second one will affect the bride. And I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but understand that the second woe, I don't know when, I know it will be sometime after this one's complete. However long after, I don't know. Lord will perhaps show later. But it will be a judgment of life and death. It will be pinpointed at the world. Those who oppose God. And you're going to see it. You're going to see it all over. But it will also be pointed at the lukewarm. It will be pointed at the bride that in, in that court case where I read, you know, the, those pastors that get their secretary pregnant and then have the, the abortion to hide it. There's going to be exposure of what's going on in the bride all over. It doesn't matter the position because what matters is the right. What matters is the righteous walk. Not a piety of walk, but a truly righteous walk. What does that mean? A piety of walk is somebody who attains a position and maintains that with their piety. They, they show what they are. Or they show what they want people to think they are. But truth in that relationship is what's going to be exposed. It's going to be exposed throughout the church. We're entering into these next couple years into a time that is going to be very difficult for the bride. However, not difficult for those who have relationship with him, who are hot after him. And I don't mean, obviously it's going to be difficult just because of things going around, but, but there will be a shift happening. And that shift is what produces the third woe. See, if you really look at the third woe, and I, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, I, I want to encourage you, go and, and dig into this. You don't have to believe anything I say. Dig into it. Dig into it. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, reveal to me. I mean, if 
few weeks from now, whenever whenever we see it, you're going to see it. It, it won't be like, like it'll be, you know, I can't really tell if that's actually happening or not. You're going to tell. The whole world's going to tell. But dig into it. Look at the third woe. The third woe is not a woe at all. The third woe is literally the readying of the bride. You know what? Let's go. Let's go to chapter 9 of Revelation. First woe is verse 1 through 11. Then you got the second woe, which, by the way, are going to be three classifications of plagues. I don't know what they are. I know they have to do with what, what it says here. Fire, smoke, sulfur. Don't know what that is. I also don't think it's three events, by the way. I think it's three categories of events, but, you know, that's just me. But then there is this explanation of a few different things like chapter 10 and verse 7 where it talks about the third woe which is the seventh trumpet it says but that in the day of the trumpet in the in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel which is the seventh trumpet it is the third woe the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, prophets. I'm not going to get into this. If you want to know about it, go back a couple weeks. I talked about the mystery of God. The bride is the mystery. The fulfillment of this mystery, who is the bride, the bride of Jesus, the mystery will be fulfilled in that seventh trumpet. Okay, so let's move forward. What is the seventh trumpet. You go past the two witnesses, then you go down to chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become. Okay, recognize this. This is not heaven. Okay, this is the earth. This is the earth. The kingdom of the world, the earth, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. In other words, there is a merging that comes about in this third woe. And and by the way, that is the indicator that this is different than the thousand year reign. Because Israel and the bride are two different things. Even In the end times, when Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years, it will be different than the bride is right now, because we believe Him by faith. Then they will see Him face to face. There will still be a remission of sin through sacrifice in the thousand year reign. If you don't believe me, go look at the millennial temple in Ezekiel. I think it's chapters 40-something. 45, would it? Somewhere around there. Go look at that and see. Wait a second, Millennial Temple, and they have all these sacrifices. Well, wait a second. But, but Jesus is with them. Why, why do you need these sacrifices? It's because he is dealing with Israel and fulfilling the prophecy of Israel in that thousand year reign. That's not what this is talking about. This is the bride. This is the mystery. This is the, the, the bride of Jesus who is becoming readied, and the seventh trumpet is that readied bride. 
Verse 16. And the 24 elders, which by the way, the 24 elders represent the bride. That is a representation of the bride. The 24 elders who sit and if, if you want to know why, by the way, because it doesn't say, oh, this represents the bride. No, no, but they are priests. They are kings. Okay, and there are only three in the word of God that are priests and kings. Melchizedek, who was a theophany of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, and the bride. Where can, do you know you're a priest? Where's your robe? Right? You're a priest, you're a king. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you are a king and a priest. That's what, what the Bible says. So there are only three that are kings and priests. The 24 elders are kings and priests. They are a representation of the bride. Who sit on their thrones before God, fell on their faces, and worship God, saying, We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged. Do you feel them rage right now? We felt them rage for a long, long time. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. That one just, when we started the courts, that one just jumped out at me. Destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then it talks about the temple of God was open, the ark of his covenant was up there. But understand the seventh trumpet is not a woe at all. In, in terms of us being woe, it is a woe to the world. It is a woe to those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. Because what he's saying is, my bride will be lifted high. My bride will be placed in a place of leadership to where literally Jesus Christ rules this earth through the presentation of his bride. As literal as what we do here. Father, what do you want? Lord, Jesus, what do you want? You want me to step here? Okay, I'll step here. Was that my will or was that his will? If that was his will and I stepped here, who was the one that did that? I may have performed it. But it was he who did it through me. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ, in a foreshadowing of what is going to come in the millennium, will lead through his bride. So in the first two woes, what you see is you see a shift. You see a shift of what is now controlled by the enemy, controlled by the world, will be shifted to the control of the bride. Now, I'm not here to tell you how how that's going to happen. It could happen a million ways. Right? You could have companies that are controlled by, by somebody controlled by Satan go under. And then started by somebody else. You could have a person who hates God get saved and be passionate for him. And everything under that person, guy or girl, just changes because of their authority in that place. I don't know how God's going to do it. Really don't care. God's going to start to put people in places of leadership 
in our government. You're already starting to see that. You saw it with Donald Trump. And what's wild is he used somebody that doesn't even know what he's doing for the Lord. The Lord's working through him, and, and I love it how he just takes credit for it. That's fine. I think to the Lord, that's fine too. There will come a point where the line will be drawn in the sand for him, and he'll have a choice. I don't know if he knows the Lord. I'm going to suspect that he probably is justified of his sin, that he is saved. I'm going to guess that only because that's really not a difficult thing. Right? Now, there, there may not be much evidence of relationship there, but there will be. So you're going to have this shift from as the bride is becoming ready through these times of judgment that are going to be so difficult. Understand now, I don't know what a foreshadowing looks like. I've been wrestling with the Lord over this one for for a couple of months because in the second, whoa, a third, a third of the earth dies, of, of, of the humans die. That's two and a half billion people if that were today. You know, and, and, and they're, they're talking about, you know, 3,000 people in the coronavirus and everybody's all up in arms about that. I mean, I would think they'd probably be a little bit upset if two and a half billion died. Now, I don't know if the foreshadowing is going to be the same. I can tell you that's what I believe. That's what I believe he has is, he is confirmed to me. It's, it's certainly not my desire. It's not his desire. But just as he said in the courts, it's justice. It's justice. It's the righteous judgment that brings about his will. During that time, though, those who do not have to worry are those who don't worry anyways because they're hot after him. Do you know one of the things that it said in in Revelation about, about those who overcame, right? Overcame effectively Satan. When, when he is cast out of heaven, they overcame him by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and actually that's flip-flop, it was by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and then the last part that we usually leave off. And they cared not about their lives, even unto death. See, that's a critical part, because if you are on fire for God, you cannot care about what's going on around you or what's going on in the future. And guys, you better get a hold of this. You better get a hold of this. If you're rocked by things that go on around you, if you're rocked by intensity, you may want to just go get with the Lord and get over that real quick. Because you're not only called to be a part of that intensity and to be it, but you're called to be a light in that intensity. 
I mean, we're, we're to be an example. It, it says, it says, it, you know, what is the brightest the light shines? It's when it's dark. It's when it's dark all around that light. That's when the light shines the most. So what an opportunity. What an opportunity as, as we go through this, this first woe that will bring chaos. It's, it's just, it, I, I view it so much because it's, I don't know if it's a physical thing or a mental thing. I have no idea. I view it, and by the way, it's not, it's not the coronavirus either. Just to lay that one out there. I don't think that is something that, uh, that was in God's plans. It was allowed, obviously, because Satan cannot do anything that, that is not allowed. But um, it's not that. It's something way more direct than that. And, and we'll see it. But, but if, if Satan can get people to be afraid of, of rumors, of something small that is new to our minds, imagine the fear that's going to come with something that's real. So we're going to be in a darkness. And we're going to be able to be a light. I think this time frame that we're moving into, more people are going to be saved than we've ever seen in our lives. Than the church has ever seen in her existence. I think more will be saved. I, I think, I remember the Lord told me a long time ago that, that one of the things that will literally propel the excitement of the bride and the passion of the bride <laughs> are witches that get saved. I thought, I thought that's extraordinary. And, and you know what? It makes sense because, see, they don't have the blocks of being able to believe beyond the three-dimensional realm. Because they see it. They live there. They, they understand it. And so when they get saved, and we've seen this, there's, there's just this unbelievable repentance there's this unbelievable awareness of how they don't deserve it. But yet Jesus gave them life. Right? It's just extraordinary. So, so we have this opportunity. So how in the world do we do it? And this this, what I wanted to mention. And, and by the way, one of the thing, one other thing that the Lord had said to me, which it kind of got me going on this whole track. This was, I think, the week before last. I was I was talking to him, and and he said, I was asking about those. No, Alexis was asking. Um, I was talking to him, and she she was there, and she had asked the Lord uh, about. How do we pray for these people that going through these next five months and, um, you know, and if they get saved, will they be pulled out of it? You know, the pain that they're in, you know, by the way, this pain is going to be so difficult. They're going to want to die, but they, they won't die. And the Lord said, you know, his response surprised me a little bit. His response was that, um, 
when they get saved that that I'm trying to remember how he worded it without looking it up. Do you remember the exact words that that they're what? The persecution will be their testing. Doesn't mean they won't get saved. They'll get saved, but but there it will be an immediate opportunity to trust, to trust the Lord. But then he said something right after that, and he said because Alex prayed for a clarity, and he said he said to those who seek me, to those who go after me, I will give clarity, and you will know the times. But he said to those others, I will come as a thief in the night. And that got me thinking, okay, wait a second, I've heard that a few times before. And I went and looked up every time it says he will come as a thief in the night. And, and there are basically two applications that, that it boils down to. But, but more than not, it talks about the day of the Lord. It talks about when the Lord will come and resurrect or, or, and, and rapture his church. And in looking that up, I, I went to, and you could go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It talks about the day of the Lord here. And, but I, I want to read something specific here in verse 8. Because you can know everything that's going to happen. You could be well aware of it. But how do you deal with it when it comes? That's why I want to turn here, and this is what he says in in verse 8. Second part of verse verse 8. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Let me read that again. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. See, you have to understand that everything you do must wrap itself around those two things, faith and love. Faith and love. Look at your life right now. Look at your personal life right now. What evidence of faith is there in your life? What evidence of love is there in your life? If there was an outside person looking in, and writing down an evaluation of your life, would they write down that there is faith there? There is love there. See, that faith and love is what is going to propel us through this readying of the bride. Then one other place. Second Peter chapter three. This was another place I went talking about the day of the Lord where he said, but I will come. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Heavens will pass away with a roar, blah, blah, blah. But go down. Let's see. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? I don't think if it were not possible, God would not have put it in here. But he just said here, waiting for, okay, this is the rapture, this is the 
the, the coming of the Lord, this is the coming of the end times, whatever you want to call it, waiting for the Lord and hastening the coming of the day of God. So he would not put it in there if it were not possible for his bride to hasten that day. To hasten that day. So how do we hasten that day? Go back to where we were. I'll just read it again. 1 Thessalonians 5, second part of verse 8. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Man, guys, don't be afraid of faith. And yet it's the hardest thing to allow God to cultivate in your life. Especially here in America. Especially here. Because we're taught here that everything can be accomplished if you just do. Just do it. Right? Nike, just do it. Right? Everything, anything, you could accomplish anything here in America. Now, by the way, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm going to put a little catchphrase in there. If that's the Lord's will for your life. Right? And you seek Him and His will. There is nothing that you can't do. Nothing. But where are we pouring our faith and our love? It, it rocked me this week. I was in Matthew, and we won't turn there, but Matthew chapter 17, where the, the disciples couldn't, couldn't uh, uh, heal this demon-possessed demon boy, and, and Jesus does. And they said, why couldn't we do it? And He said, you didn't have the faith. It was very bold, very, very straightforward. You didn't have the faith. In other words, your faith was certainly enough to do these others that you've done. But you didn't have the faith for this one. And then he quantified what it would look like if they did. He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, just a mustard seed, if you have that, that quantity of faith, you could do anything. You could look at that mountain. And you say, move, and it'll move. I don't know about you. I don't even know how, how, how to lay out some, some pathway to that kind of faith. Except to be willing and stepping in faith in the little things. See, it wasn't the first thing in my life where he told me, close the business and step in faith just because I said to. No, he had taken me throughout my life in smaller ways of stepping out in faith. I'm telling you something, guys. Our Nigeria team's here. You're about to go back. Right? You stepped out in faith to go there the first time. You stepped out in faith not knowing what it was going to look like. Not knowing what was coming up. Not knowing what you'd be doing there. Still don't know in many ways. See, it's different now. I'm telling you when you go back this time, be aware. Be aware of your choice. Be aware of your choices because it's going to require your faith. Because the tumultuous time that we are going into is not just here. It's all over the globe. Now I'll say this. You're supposed to be there. I won't speak to you personally, but I know we're to be there. 
But understand that choice. You have already built a platform of faith in your life to build upon that faith and to step with absolute confidence in what the Lord says to you. That's the faith. You know what the love is? The love is simple. Jesus, help me to see them through your eyes. Alexa and I, we, we had a uh, consultation, a marital consultation, whatever you want to call it, this past week. And, and, and it, it was a, a marriage in real trouble. And, and you know, the one, one of them was heavily into drugs and different things like that. And, and, and before, before they came, I just asked the Lord, I said, Lord, let me see him through your eyes. Let me see what you see. And the moment he walked in the door, I had compassion. The moment. It wasn't my own compassion. It wasn't my own love. My own love wouldn't even qualify. My love has to be mixed with faith that, that if I ask the Lord for his lens of somebody, he'll give it to me. And then it produces a love inside of you. I, I'm telling you, try it. Try it. Next time that you have a conversation coming up with somebody that's going to be difficult or you're dealing with something, something difficult, just say, Lord, help me to see them as you see them. Help me to see their hearts. Help me to see the situation as you would see it. Because then all of a sudden that faith that you've already presented in taking that step will be sprinkled with the love because it's filtered by Him. That's what gets you through. And not only that, that's what will put you in positions of leadership in this world that will have to be taken. Think about it. If the bride's going to become ready, who's he going to put in the top positions? Not people that are qualified. No. What is the qualification that will take their direction from him? Where Jesus literally leads through them. So there is not a soul in here that is not eligible for that pathway. You only take yourself out of it. God doesn't take you out of it. The fact that you didn't get this degree or you should have gotten this one and you know maybe maybe got this one instead or whatever doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You all have the same opportunity to go before the Lord and build a relationship with him and just say whatever I have is yours. Do with me what you will. If you don't believe me go go read Matthew chapter 25 you know, when it, when it talks about the kingdom of the Lord, parable of the talents and, and how we're to invest what he gives us, not control it, right? Let him do it. And when you let him do it, you'll be surprised where he puts you. <laughs> You'd be really surprised where he puts you. And the last thing, the hope of our salvation. I won't, I won't have you turn there, but... When you get a chance, go to Hebrews 11, chapter, 
chapter 11, where it talks, you know, the faith chapter. And it talks about these icons of faith. And it said that their faith was in a hope of a city whose foundation is built by God. They never experienced it. They never saw it. They were never part of it. But their faith, their hope, was in this, this salvation, was in the hope of this city built by God. We have promises of this ready bride that he has laid out in Scripture. That is our hope. That is our faith. We can walk in that to say, here am I. I, Whatever I have to give, I give. Use me, Lord, however you want. Whatever part I'm to play, whatever piece I'm to play, you have my all. Use me. And it's because we have a picture in our mind of one day we will be with him. One day, whether it's here physically in the readying of the bride, or one day being with Him in heaven, our hope is for a future with Him. Right? That is the helmet of salvation. We get to go with Him. We get to be with Him. Right? Whatever happens on this earth has no say in the fact that I will be with Him for eternity. Man, what a confidence builder. What a confidence builder. How do you think Paul did it when he would go into each of these cities and, and have the confidence, knowing full well what's about to happen? That he's about to be thrown in prison, that he's about to be beaten. You know, I, I could sit in prison. It's the beating. I don't know how he did that, except through the grace of God. Knowing that I'm going to go into this city, I'm going to be be not only put into prison, but I'm going to be beaten. And then to look at it as an opportunity. Do you know that's what he did? He he looked at it as an opportunity. What, What a mind frame. The only way you can even have that kind of faith is knowing that one day you will be part of a city whose foundations have been built by God. And you get to be part of it forever. That's what he's offering his bride. But see, there's a cost to it. That cost is righteousness. That cost is righteousness that is found through relationship. Not learning how to live by a list. Because that's not righteousness at all. I mean, you see it all the time. You see these pastors that all of a sudden, oh wow, they had a different life. That's not their righteousness. Righteousness comes from relationship with the Lord. And that little intimate conversation with him where he says, yeah, see, there's this thing in your life. I just, if you, if you want to be closer with me, and I want it, we've got to get rid of this thing. I'll help you, but we've got to get rid of this thing. Faith, love, and hope. That's all we need. And then let him move our hands, our feet, and our mouths. Alexis, come on up.
Wow, today, is it on? having me listen to the beginning of his message um, through the eyes of the average Christian that I've ever known my whole life. And I can only imagine, in fact, I'm imagining that there wouldn't even be a capacity to even finish this message with starting off um, with courts and with spirits talking and I mean when you start to go into that area of what we jokingly around here call crazy it's um, it's it's interesting that this idea of cost if more of believers understood the philosophy of cost the 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 surrender, the Paul saying every day he was crucified with Christ, there would be so much more unity in the bride. There'd be so much more understanding. Because let me just tell you, by way of declaration, um, the scripture says to seek it out for yourself. Do not believe a word that Greg said. Seek it out for yourself. He is not making these declarations to and these statements to be touting that I alone know these things from God. It is amazing how much unity in the Spirit there is when people seek the Holy Spirit for truth. Someone opened the class and prayed with a couple people. And they prayed this particular scripture, but not in this translation. And I am going to just read this verse from the Passion Translation. Philippians 1.27 Whatever happens, keep living your lives based on the reality of the gospel of Christ, which reveals him to others. Then when I come to see you, Paul is saying this to the Philippian church, when I come to see you or hear good reports of you, I'll know that you stand united in one spirit and one passion, celebrating together as conquerors in the faith of the gospel. Seek out the Lord and he will reveal. And faith is never, ever comfortable. The, when you get alone with the Lord and you begin to learn his voice and you come to him not searching for agreement with something you already fundamentally believe with no flexibility. It's like, Lord, this is what I believe. I'm going to search and search and search till you agree with me. Mm -mm. You come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I believe. Am I in error? Am I, can you confirm this? Will you confirm this? Show me in your word. And yes, there are false teachers. There are doom and gloom prophets. There are a whole bunch of people that are in the category of crazy. How can you discern who's who? It's in relationship with Jesus because he will reveal it. 
Because the same concept in scripture can be told by one prophet to mean one thing and another preacher to mean something else. And it causes a lot of confusion. But there is actually no confusion, as God is not the author of any, in the spirit. And so this is a heavy word. This, this reminds me a lot of how the people must have felt when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The disciples are like, whoa, okay. Um, we were really, you, you just, you had us until the whole blood and flesh thing. You know. What do we do with this? And Jesus looked at him and said, and he's speaking it today to his remnant. Are you going to leave me too? And are there real false prophets? Yes, there are real false prophets. Some of the things that I alone, the Lord has spoken to me in my own private time. See, I get a bad rap because they, it's like, well, of course you're going to believe what Greg says because you're his wife. Well, you just, you just don't know me then because that's so not the case. But the, some of the things the Lord has proven out and told me in my own time as I learned his voice, I had a choice. Lord, this is, it's, it's like um, in Psalm 139 when he, he reveals that his thoughts for us are, are so wonderful and, and it's like the response of humans, it's, it's so high I cannot attain unto what you want to reveal. The ways of God. So many believers think they understand the ways of God. And that because I understand the ways of God, God, this can't be you. Rather than coming to him and saying, God, you are a God of wonder. You are, you are an awesome God. And in Psalm 103, and I've quoted this before, but the Lord says he made his, his ways known unto Moses. His acts unto the children of Israel. Why didn't he make his ways known to the children of Israel? Because at that time they could not receive it. They could only receive the miraculous acts. And they were even then struggling with what he was about to, what he was doing. And so some people will not believe like Thomas until they see. And I know it doesn't apply so much to people that, that know our walk inside and out as we've opened up our lives to everyone. But obviously... It isn't, it isn't our desire to be right. It's our desire to believe that when God speaks, we've we got to step. There would be no ark. There would be no parting of the Red Sea. There would be no, um, I mean, there would be so many of the, the Hebrews 11 chapter of faith. All the things that, that are given as examples of great faith would not have existed if somebody had not believed the voice of God for the crazy that didn't exist before. And yet we had his word. And people are still fighting and not understanding. It's because they're not in personal, intimate relationship with God, hearing his voice alone. In fact, most people will tout that a prophet is false just because they say, God told me. Oh, I said that last week too, but that's sad because God's talking to you too. He is talking to you. He is not just talking to the leaders. He's not just talking to the certain people in certain positions. He is speaking. And his spirit bears witness and creates a unity that is not conformity, that is not a human agreement. It is a spirit bearing witness. Even my spirit can sometimes bear witness with things that I can't wrap my mind around. And so trust him to reveal truth. And the thing that we pray for all the time is, Father, reveal error. Reveal error, especially when it's a word that you wrestle with. But if God tells you to do something... Do you need full support of all the humans around you, or do you believe his voice alone? 
Don't misunderstand that statement. That doesn't mean that we aren't held accountable by the body of Christ and that we don't receive confirmations. He will provide it. He will provide confirmations. And he's going to provide the proof of what's happening. Um, but I know, I know for some this is very difficult. And, um, and to me it's just an example of what is it willing to cost, uh, what's the cost you're willing to pay. Um, I know I've been challenged in my own life just to let him totally take me over has at times the way that he's rocked me and it's affected my human body. It's been a cost of what people think of me. It's been a cost of my dignity. Uh, I never, I never, I mean, I remember years and years ago, people didn't even see me cry. I just didn't cry in front of people. And now sometimes the Lord will lay me out flat, just, just weeping over what he's showing me in the moment, you know, and as you know, in the back of a service. Um, if you are not willing to allow yourself and your flesh and your mind and what you think you know to be crucified, you'll never be able to um, see the deep things that are available. Yeah. And God wants to reveal, but he has to, he has to start in a place of surrender where we lay down uh, what we think we know and not for another gospel, not for a, a new doctrine, not for anything that's not in agreement with his word. But even in his word, there are things, as, I mean, Jesus was talking at times very plainly to the disciples and they could not receive it. It took their absolute belief beyond reason, beyond leaning on their own understanding, to absorb some of the things that Jesus was desperate. In fact, even he said at the end of John, there's so much more I wish I could tell you, you just can't, you can't receive it, you can't absorb it. Well, as you trust, more and more will be revealed. It's not understand first, then believe. It never works. Faith never works that way. Study, study a subject of faith. It just doesn't. It is the substance of things only hoped for. The evidence itself becomes something you can't see. That is faith. Amen. And so, so I know this is tough. If it wasn't tough for you, it's probably going to be tough for somebody that you know that perhaps will watch this um, online. And, um, and I will tell you, in all honesty, there have been times when I said, Lord, please don't release that word online through Greg. Because, you know, and, and, it's, uh, and the Lord has said, uh, is this about you and self-preservation and backlash that makes you uncomfortable? Or is this about following me with full abandon? Because you can say it all day long, but if you don't put your money where your mouth is, faith without works is dead. So... Um, but God is good. There is hope. There is no such thing. The hard times come, and very hard times come, but God is good and does only good. And trusting in his sovereignty, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is the hardest thing for the believer. To be able to see that God is good, even when things uh, around us seem to be bad. I was saying to the ladies this morning, I'm trying to buy the hand sanitizers for the women's conference. And everybody sold out because of the fear that's been incited. Um, people that, families stocking up on masks, and there might only be five people in their family. You know, I mean, it's, things will reveal where your anchor really is. And, but God sometimes, um, sometimes that's how we get to see the greatness of our God is when it's tested. Not just tested in turmoil, sometimes tested in great favor and blessing. What does it take for you to turn your eyes away from him?
chaos and turmoil or great favor and maybe millions of dollars. Anything that would take your eyes off him, he will test you in that area to know that you're purely for him. I know I don't, certainly as Jesus said in his day, I don't want to be called an adulterous generation. I want to be single-eyed for him. Yes. And when you speak that out, sometimes you don't even know that you don't believe that. You just think you believe it. And then God seeks out to prove whether that's actually true or not. Most of our testing, he already knows our heart. He already knows everything about us. Most of the testing is to prove to us what we really believe and those around us. Amen. So God is good. There is hope. He is, he is always the source of joy. And Paul's life is the best example of that. So, um, so take this, and, and I don't want to say any more about that, except to say that I know that this, uh, in some points, was very difficult, especially for anyone online that doesn't even yet still grasp the courts. Um, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, that simple phrase that we know that we know that we know, that's no joke. What does it even mean to walk in the Spirit? How about start there? And so much more will make sense. And that's what God wants. So, Father God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are God and we are not. Lord, you know, you understand. Your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts than our thoughts. Because as the heavens are high above the earth, So, of course, your ways and your thoughts will be different than ours. God, let us not misread anything that you are showing us. Let us always seek your face humbly. But, God, when you reveal something that's beyond our capacity to um, understand because it is not popularly known, God, let us be obedient and step out and let it cost us reputation, dignity, Anything, God, as long as it's with a pure heart for you, God. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Father, we know some of these scriptures, and yet to walk it out, to let our lives manifest these things, these, these mantras that we speak so easily. I know you are bringing us to a time. You're bringing your precious bride to a time where there is no more double-mindedness, there's no more duplicity in our speech, but that you are making us walk our talk. And that's difficult, but I thank you. I thank you for that, God. I love walking among believers that are authentic, that 24 hours a day are who they are with you, not just when they're in church or have a platform or a microphone or are doing some good work, but that they're truly a walking believer, hosting your presence, fellowshipping, supping with you, communicating with you, God. Because your spirit is the spirit of unity. God, I just thank you. I pray, Holy Spirit, be heavy on this word today. Just let it land. God, I pray that you break down the walls of resistance for those that would immediately put up a barrier because it's something that they've never heard of before. Because, Father, it's actually not something new. It's just something newly revealed. And so, God, I thank you that you will bring about truth and you will reveal error because you are God and we just seek your face over these things. We love you so much, God. May you, Lord Jesus, receive all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name. 
Amen.